Welcome to Waking Up to Grace. I'm Lenny, and today we are going to be sort of finalizing our series that we just did on Faith Without Works is Dead. And uh, so we're, you know, we're going to call this one Faith Without Works is Dead Explained, because I'm going to explain the conclusion that I've come to um, about the book of James, the letter of James. I mean, it's not really a book, it's a letter. And um, it's it's something that's, you know, since I, you know, I'm a born again Christian, I, I was regenerated in 2003 and almost immediately started backsliding, uh, uh, you know, into the law, into rules and regulations, into a, a works-based salvation, uh, where it was either self-righteousness or fake it till you make it type of, uh, type of a thing. And, uh, you know, I described that um, with, with, um, with my brother in Christ Lee on, on one of our recent episodes actually. And uh, so, you know, in 2006, I was presented uh, the, the gospel and the grace uh, message with, you know, in its fullness and its clarity. Um, and, and this is something I believe and hold to, and nobody's ever going to sway me away from once I saw it, you don't unsee it. It was delivered to me um, uh, gratefully and lovingly by, uh, another servant of Christ. And, uh, he, he suffered verbal acution, uh, persecution in order to deliver that message to me. And, um, I saw it and, uh, you know, started growing in it and, um, still growing today. And, um, so, and, you know, really it's just, uh, he, he had no reason to share it. He had nothing to gain by sharing it. He, there was no ulterior motives. He took some time uh, off, you know, whatever he had going on to meet with the group, get, uh, get yelled at and <laughs> name called and everything else just to, you know, just to, just to uh, deliver the message of grace. And so I pretty much decided, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to start a ministry and uh, pay it forward in that same way. I have nothing to gain except for uh, for um, uh, love uh, coming from me through through, uh, through Christ, the vine uh, coming out uh, the branch. you know, I'm just a branch. I can only I can only bear the fruit that he gives me and uh, I don't know everything, but I know one thing and nothing will ever change that. God's grace and God's gospel message is clear as a bell in scripture. And I've come to that clarity by God's grace. And uh, so, you know, if you're into the works-based salvation thing, you want to, you know, be that first person to ever work their way to salvation. And, uh, you know, you're not going to like my ministry. Um, you know, you could benefit from it, but you're you're probably not going to like it. So don't, you know, send me a whole bunch of stuff thinking you're going to change my mind. It's not going to happen. Once you see grace, you don't go back. And um, once you once you're exposed to the level of grace that Paul teaches, um, it's it's pretty hard to backslide. And uh, so backsliding is not in my future. I know that for certain. I'm going to stand on Christ. He's He's given this to me, and uh, He's given me this confidence in that. And uh, so I don't have anything to worry about. So you know, don't waste your time attacking. I'm sharing this message out of love and. Uh, you know, if, if you're going to unlovingly attack, you know, I'm just going to delete your comment. This is this is a place where we learn and grow. And uh, this is what we're about. So and, and I and I hope that you join and hope you want to learn and grow. So today I'm going to be today I'm going to be sharing 
what uh, a conclusion I've come to. Actually, this this series on James has been uh, quite a quite an awesome experience for me. Um, I my wife pointed out to me when we were talking. Uh, I think it was yesterday. She said, "You know, this was an answered prayer." And I said, "What do you mean?" And I thought back and. You know, and uh, about six months ago, you know, James is James has never been uh, something that I've let affect me heavily. I was uh, it was pointed out to me already early on, you know, what he said and, you know, some of the ideas. And we've given you guys a lot of those ideas, you know, already. And uh, so I already thought, well, you know, James doesn't affect me. It's, you know, if he if he is double talking or whatever he's saying in his letter, it doesn't affect me. I'm saved by grace. It's full grace. You know, I'm not going to set that aside for anything. And so, but in the, you know, in the back of my mind, I've always wondered, you know, and I've wondered the things that I'm sharing with you guys was as James part of the, should it have been in the Bible? Who was it written by? Was it written by the brother, brother of Jesus? And why did he say the things that he said? And so I'm going to give you guys the final the final uh, idea that I've come to and see what you guys think about it. You know, I, I uh, personally, it's kind of been a closed case for me at this point. I, I've come to some conclusions and uh, it was all a result of this ministry and uh, digging deeper into this. Uh, this calling that God gave me six months ago and this prayer that I that came to my heart about, uh, you know, wanting to know, you know, what's the deal, James? Can you, you know, Lord, tell me what's the deal? I'm listening to uh, different grace teachers and nothing sounds right. It just doesn't sound right. I mean, they can jump through hoops and make it sound good. And, you know, I even attempted to stab at that in my part three of the series, you know, and I don't know what you guys thought about that, but um, I'm not satisfied by that. It just wasn't satisfying, but it is a point of view. And I just really wanted to explore this fully. And so that's what we're doing. And, and here uh, I, I'm going to and, you know, we, like I've said before, and this is kind of long winded, uh, so I just had a bit of an intro to go through here. But, you know, as I um, as I said before, we have to look at it in the in terms of the gospel. OK, so if, if you understand New Covenant theology, if you're living on this side of the cross and you understand grace, you understand the gospel, you have to realize that all of scripture has to be interpreted in light of the gospel, not just some of it. You know, if you go back into the Old Testament, you got to have your New Testament goggles on that Jesus gave you. Everything is about Jesus. It's all through Jesus that we have to see things. And, the, and through Jesus, through what about Jesus? The finished work, the gospel, the finished work on the cross, the finished work from the resurrection, who we are, our, our identity in Christ, where our righteousness comes from, the vine and branches relationship. Uh, do you think that uh, do you think that a branch is going to convince God that it's a vine and that it's producing its own fruit? You're not going to fool God. He knows you're a branch. He knows that all you do is bear fruit and that you cannot produce it. This is something that some of us Christians have a hard time understanding and accepting. We can't accept. We don't want to accept. We struggle to accept that we're just a branch and the vine is the one that produces the fruit. And without that vine producing the fruit, we're not going to have anything. We might have one piece of fruit. We might have two, three, four. We might, who knows how many pieces of fruit we have, but a good tree cannot bear bad fruit. 
uh, scripture teaches us this. Okay. So how much fruit do we have? Are we going to be judging each other based on our fruit? Give me a break. No, stop it. Don't do that to people. Share the love of God. Don't be self-righteous. Share the love of God. Peter said that the people that are endeavoring in sin have forgotten their cleansing. They've forgotten the love of God. They've fallen back into legalism and works and, and, and backsliding, according to Paul, was just that. It was falling back into the law. And so backsliding, falling away from grace. So Paul tells us, and this is part of the introduction here, Paul tells us clearly that Christians, born-again Christians, can start falling away from grace and have Christ become no value to them. They're saved and miserable. They're saved and falling and leaning on self-righteousness. So we, we, have to, we have to realize that regeneration is a process done on God's time, not ours. It's not something we can push along. It's not something we can make happen on our own. It's, it's something that, that God does within us. And um, so having that said, I'm, I'm kind of setting the stage here for, for the, uh, a realization that is going to really just open up through the scripture to us about um, believers and backsliding. And um, so let's, let's start out by, by talking about the, you know, the dates, you know, I'd mentioned that we don't really know when James was written. There's a couple different stances. There's a, there's people that support an early writing of about 48 AD. And then there's people that support a later writing who Kind of rejected James and just didn't really think much of it and say, oh, no, it's not even authentic. It was much later, probably not even a, a real apostle or, or the brother of James. But, you know, here's here. Here it is. And I and I've come to the conclusion that I do believe that James uh, belongs in Scripture. So let's just start with that. And uh, I think the 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 reasoning um, and, and what we take from James, though, is going to interest you. And um, so James belongs in scripture. And I also think that the early, uh, early date is, is supported, you know, by these scholars. And the reason I, I like the support is because I think it can be supported in scripture. And that's even better than just dating it um, in any other way. Um, so, you know, let's, let's look at it. Let's say it was 48 AD written by the brother of Jesus. We're going to take that stance because I think that's, I, I really am firmly holding to that's, that's the deal here. I, I've come to the conclusion and there's, there's scriptures that are additional to that view that we haven't shared yet. And I'm going to go through those and it's, it's pretty interesting and it's really good actually. And, uh, it's going to open open your eyes if it if it's anything like what happened with me open your eyes to a whole new level of understanding of James and the struggles that Paul went through and everything else and uh so so James let's let's take this stance it was written in 48 AD and uh so the interesting thing uh about the brother of James and and this is this is where we're going to build on this on this teaching in this video. I'm going to build on this by by showing you what is written about the brother of James. What do we know about the brother of Jesus, brother of James, the brother of Jesus? What do we know about him? Uh, well, you know, interestingly, there's uh, he, he's got kind of a colorful history, you could say. Um, his brothers, him and his brothers, actually, uh, it, would, it was the uh, the festival of the tabernacles. Uh, was going on and uh, 
you know, this is in John uh, chapter seven. So you can look it up. Um, his, his brothers, James being one of them, tried to convince him to go into town. And they convinced him knowing that people wanted to kill him. So they, they actually tried to get him killed. Uh, James was part of that. James, the brother of Jesus, tried to get Jesus killed. Uh, you know, does, you know, does that make him, uh, you know, unable to be regenerated? No, not at all. But it's an interesting history, kind of like it's interesting to know the history of Paul, who was persecuting the church. So James actually could have cared less if his brother Jesus was alive or not, evidently. And uh, but but, you know, there's a lot that uh, goes on in Acts. And he was he was part of the upper room. And uh, so he was there when the spirit uh, came upon all them. And so he he was saved. He was saved at the resurrection. He didn't believe while Jesus was he wasn't a, a disciple of Jesus while he was walking, but he came to belief afterward. Um, and so there's several mentions of him. You know, there was the um, in Acts chapter one fourteen, um, it, it mentions uh, uh, it mentions him there, and you know he's he's talked about throughout um, throughout Scripture. And then again in Galatians, Paul mentions it. He says, uh, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him fifteen days. Cephas was Peter. Saw none of the other apostles, um, only James, the Lord's brother. And um, so he mentions James. James, the Lord's brother, was hanging around a lot. So it's a known thing. It makes sense. Uh, he was he was in in the in the in the group. You know the the way he is a, a follower of the way. You know as they called it. And um, so so we have you know uh, evidence of that. And then um, let's see in Corinthians. Um, uh, Paul described, uh, yeah, in Corinthians, Paul's saying it again. Um, he says, now, brothers and sisters, I want you to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I have received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and he appeared to Cephas, Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of them whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. But last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. He says, I'm the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And this and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God was with me. That was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. And so he's, you know, he's talking, he mentions James again. Um, but uh, interestingly, you know, if we look at Galatians, uh, we, we hear James mentioned a few different times, and it, it's not a good thing any of those times. And, um, and, and uh, <laughs> interestingly, and you know, we're going to go into what now we're going to start looking at what we call the uh, what they in the heading they call the Council at Jerusalem. And we're going to look at this Council at Jerusalem that was held in 50 AD. 
This would have been after the, the writing of James, after James wrote his, this first epistle, which uh, if, if this date is correct, and this is what people have accepted today, and it makes sense now to me, um, if we accept that date, this was the first epistle written. And that would also tie in with what we had talked about. And we're not going to get back into that a lot with Paul responding to him um, in Romans, because Romans was written later, and he would have obviously gotten wind of this letter. They were around each other, you know, from time to time and crossing paths. So it would not be surprising or shocking at all that Paul rebuked him in Romans. Anyhow, the council at Jerusalem. I'm going to, I'm going to read this. I'm going to read these scriptures and we'll kind of go through and we'll talk about it. I think it's worth reading it. So just listen carefully and hear, hear this out. Um, so this wasn't called the council at Jerusalem, but this is what the heading says for reference. And um, it's Acts chapter 15. Certain people came down from Judea, Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So there was a sharp dispute and a debate going on. Uh, from people that came down from Antioch and were teaching the believers that they had to be circumcised. And this was a matter of law. Circumcision was a matter of the law. And um, or they couldn't be saved. And so, you know, they had to have been preaching a double message. It's Jesus, Jesus plus circumcision. So Paul and Barnabas were in a sharp dispute and debate with them. And, uh, and it says, so Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way and they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria. They, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. And then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. What? All right, let's read that again. Some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up. Some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees. This is how Luke refers to it in the book of Acts. Some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees. So you had believers preaching that the Gentiles should be under law. Hmm, this is quite interesting, isn't it? So this is 50 AD, right after James wrote his, his epistle. And so listen on. These are believers. We know that law doesn't mix with grace. Why do we know that? Well, Jesus taught us that, and Paul taught us that, and the other apostles taught us that. But did James fully understand that when he wrote his epistle? That's the question. How much grace did he, how much of an understanding of grace did he have at the time of that writing? And then, so we go on in Acts. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, and just a side note, elders, you know, that, that's just people that were, uh, that were well-versed in the way. They, they weren't uh, some, some high special position, you know, and, you know, we'll talk about that plenty later on as far as positions and hierarchy in the church. Um, you know, we don't, uh, anytime there's a large group of people following one person, you know, that's, 
that's more of the the formula for a cult. Christianity is a body of believers, and we learn and grow together, and um, and that's that's scriptural. But what we what man has created today, God, you know, God is using it, uh, however he's using it. But it's it's not. Uh, we don't have a scriptural uh, church, uh, gathering, as you might, uh, might think based on what we see, because that was just passed down and all that stuff. Anyhow, that's a side note. But so they, they met with people that were well-versed in the way, or they had been part of the way they understood it well, um, to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. He said, brothers, and (laughs) funny, Peter loves to, to speak out, uh, brothers, you know that some time ago, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, take a sip here. Waking up to grace. All right. After uh, much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God, putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. Now listen carefully to this next part and think about who Peter was speaking out against. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in an agreement with this, as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. And now James says, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat uh, meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. So, James... (laughs) James just didn't want to let go, did he? James wanted to hold on to a little bit of that law, even in 5080, okay, after his his epistle. So it's not surprising. He says, okay, it's Jesus, but you you can't just let the whole law go. It's been preached since the from the beginning. You can't just let that all go. We have a perfect, clear example of James trying to mix law with grace. And so you see his epistle seems to be mixing law with grace. Maybe that's why it belongs in scripture. Let's carry on though. This isn't done yet. This this isn't over yet. So if you like, if you like works-based salvation, just turn it off now. 
<laughs> do yourself a favor. But if you love grace and you want to learn about God's love and God's grace, continue on because this is good stuff. All right. Okay. So this is the council's, council's letter to the Gentile believers is the heading. Uh, so thinking back again, though, think, remember, remember what we talked about earlier in our James session, if you watched them one through part one through three. So, you know, Paul called out Peter and, uh, you know, it, I, I think I have the passage uh, in here. Maybe I'd even look it up, but uh, maybe we'll come to it later. We'll kind of back backtrack onto that. Uh, Paul, Paul had rebuked Peter for not sitting with the Gentiles, um, you know, when people came from James. So, uh, and this was in, in Antioch, and Paul wrote about that in the Galatians. People like, you know, they, they uh, people that came from James uh, made Peter feel uncomfortable. So he, he sat with them. And, and so you had Paul rebuke Peter in front of everybody for what he had done because he was displaying garbage. He wasn't acting in line with the gospel, trying to act like they, you know, the, those are just those gross Gentiles and we're, we're the Jewish people, you know? And, uh, so that this, this thing in the, in the council was, would have been Peter standing up, uh, would have been standing up after that. Right. So he's he's actually rebuking James now. So Peter changed his mind after Paul rebuked him and uh, can't, comes at James and is saying, you can't put that yoke on him. You couldn't bear that yoke. But then somehow James <laughs> makes this declaration. And, uh, and, you know, you never hear Paul say, oh, I agree. Yeah, let's let's uh, let's let's do this. But but here's what they went on to do. The apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Barsabbas and Silas, men who were leaders among the believers. With them, they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria and Cilicia, greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them back to you with our dear friends, Barnabas and Paul, men who, who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are sending Judas. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food, sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. So the men were sent off and went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who, <clears throat> who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. After spending time there, they were sent off by the believers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. And uh, so actually then Paul and Barnabas get in a dispute um, about whether or not uh, this, uh, this Mark, uh, the John called Mark, should come with them. Because he had he betrayed them in some way, and so there's a sharp dispute, and then Paul and Barnabas part ways. So there's there's disputes, you know, going on amongst the amongst the believers, 
And uh, it makes you think like, wow, you'd think that these apostles were perfect people and they had no problems at all. But uh, it seems seems like they had some disputes and and a lot of it was about the law. And so you never hear you never hear about Paul, you know, what he ended up doing. You know, I mean, they read the letter to these people under the supervision of those uh, those people. And they were they were relieved that they didn't have to follow the whole law. But, you know, these pieces of law. So, you know, what did Paul end up doing, you know, with the letter? What did what ended up uh, happening with all that? Uh, you know, if, if you really look at what Paul wrote. Um, in different places, you'd have to you'd have to come to the conclusion that um, he he probably didn't really seem to follow the letter. I mean, you know, if you look at like uh, Colossians two, he says, "Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ." Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They have pu- they are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews uh, grows as God causes it to grow. So their unspiritual minds so, you know, we, we know that as regenerate Christians, we have Christ in our hearts, but it doesn't mean that our minds are always in the right place. They're being regenerated, and that process takes time, and it, and it comes in different levels from different people. So, you know, some of these, some of these uh, bad teachers, <laughs> some of these people that were going against Paul could have been believers, the regenerated believers that just couldn't let go of the law. And then he goes on, he says, since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why as though you still belong to the world? Do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment to the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Huh? Stay away from sexual immorality as a rule, but yet Paul just said that rules and regulations don't help. So it doesn't sound like he exactly agreed with that letter, does it? I think there was some uh, some issues there, but we're going to dig in even further. We're not done. We're not done. So um, we, we just went through this Council of Jerusalem. And uh, okay, so here's where Paul opposes uh, Paul opposes Cephas. Uh, this is in Galatians chapter 2. Uh, Paul says... Uh, Uh, He's mentioning, he's talking about this happening. He says, then after 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders. I presented to them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Jesus Christ and make us slaves. False believers. You know, 
Yeah, it makes you wonder. I, I used to think that they were talking about uh, people that didn't believe, but false believers, believers preaching a false message. Think about that. False believers had infiltrated the ranks. We did not give in to them for a moment so that, the, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to them, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised, the dirty Gentiles. <laughs> That's not written, but, you know, they're, they're probably like, yeah, no, you go. They they asked what uh, they asked was that um, all they asked was that we continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. And you think like, what is it? What is he talking about? Why is, was poor people so uh, important? Um, I mean, there maybe there is a lot of homelessness, but you wonder if it was poor in spirit. You know, Jesus describes the poor in spirit because uh, they they came with spiritual goodness. Um, so then Paul um, opposes Peter here. He says, when Cephas Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James. The James gang, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Afraid. So he, he, he was intimidated by them. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, these these are born-again Christians here. I said to Cephas, Peter, right in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. Not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that way that way we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because the works of the law by the works of the law no one will be justified but if in seeking to be justified in Christ we Jews find ourselves among those the sinners doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin absolutely not if i rebuild what i destroyed then i would be a lawbreaker i really would be a lawbreaker and that he's not promoting sin. They were they were probably they were accusing him of that already, giving people a, a license to sin. Where do you, you know, like my friend Lisa, what DMV do you go to to get this license? Uh, for for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. Died to the law so that he could be alive to God. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. 
don't set aside grace, my friends out there. Don't set it aside. You're not doing yourself any good. You can be born again and be miserable. Can you be unborn again? Nah. No. You can't you can't give that up. Are you serious? Are you gonna are you gonna be unborn from this world? Why do you think they made that parallel? You're born again, not by human decision. You didn't choose to be born again. You were born again, and you can't be unborn again. You can't choose your way out of it. If you were truly regenerated, you're saved, period. It's not about your works anymore. You got to live with that. You got to accept that. What, what, would, what would be one thing that's going to separate you from the love of God? Your sin? Have you read about what Jesus did on the cross? He died for all of your sin. And he gave you a seal of the Holy Spirit, Christ living inside of you. The righteousness of Christ is now yours to be had because of the resurrection. And so you're going to start putting people under law and the celebration of that? I'm not going to do that. So let's go further. It's not over. Acts 21. This keeps getting better. This just keeps getting better by the minute. Listen to this. Acts 21. After we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. The next day we went to Rhodes and from there to Patera. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre where our ship was to unload its cargo. We sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Though through the spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city. And there on the beach, we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went on board the ship and they returned home. Pause for a minute to take a drink here. All right. So um, we continued our voyage from Tyre and, uh, and landed at Ptolemy's where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Women prophesying? Yeah, they did. Side note. Women do things in the church. Uh, after, uh, after we had been there, a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, coming over to us. He took Paul's belt, tied it to his hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Um, I just lost place of where I was at. When we heard this, we and the people ple there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm, I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. That was Luke writing uh, the book of Acts. After this, we started on our way to Jerusalem. Um, and, uh, you know, this is sort of the long version, but I just wanted to give, you know, the whole insight of the passage. After this, we started on our way to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us up to the home of Manasin, or Nason, where we were to stay. 
He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. So, all right. So here's where we get into it a bit. Um, let's see here. When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James and all the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard this, they praised God. Then they said to Paul, these people from James, You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them are zealous for the law. They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come. So what shall, so do, do what we tell you. There are four men with us, and we have made a vow. Take these men, join in their purification rites, and pay their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved. Then everyone will know there is no truth in these reports about you but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. As for the Gentile believers, we have written to them our decision that they should abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. They were binding Paul about what they wrote, probably because they knew that he didn't teach it. <laughs> Just a reminder, Paul. Remember that letter? <laughs> Think about that. It's almost comical. There was a lot of drama going on in the early church. The next day, uh, so and then you see Paul following this. He's, he's going to follow this Jewish custom. He's going he's gonna to go along with it. He was surrounded by the James gang, the, the legalists. He probably, I mean, he probably wanted to live another day and, and be able to preach on. And, and when you see how this unfolds, you could see why why he would he would just kind of go along with that be like them so that they would be like him kind of thing uh you know he 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 didn't compromise grace and and you'll see <laughs> but he went along and did this so the next day paul took the men and purified himself along with them uh then he went to the temple to give notice of the date when the days of purification would end and the offering would be made for each of them when the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Fellow Israelites, help us! This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law in this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this whole place. They had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city where with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. The whole city was aroused, and the people came running from all directions, seizing Paul. They dragged him from the temple, and immediately the gates were shut. They were trying to kill him. News reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains then he asked who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd shouted one thing and some another. And since the commander could not get at the truth because of the uproar, he, was, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. 
When Paul reached the stops, the violence of the mobs was so great, he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that followed kept shouting, get rid of him! What do you think they meant by that? As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, may I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? Uh, do you speak Greek, he replied? Aren't you Egyptian? Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the wilderness some time ago? Paul answered, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. After receiving the commander's permission, so he's letting them know he's a, he's a citizen. And then they had to let him speak because he was a citizen. He had a citizenship. After receiving the commander's permission, Paul stood up on the steps and motioned to the crowd. When they were silent, he said to them in Aramaic, and it goes on, and he preached in Aramaic, in their language. Now they were listening, and he gave his testimony to everybody, and it was phenomenal. He gave his, he just, he gave his full testimony, speaking of the grace of God against the law, and who would have been standing there seeing all this going on? James and the gang, the legalists. Do you think that had an impression on them? Do you think that God used that moment to help James grow in grace? Grow in grace that he had not had, let's say, at the time of that writing. To the 12 tribes of Israel, written by James, and before this council, before this happening, chronologically in order. I think James had to have been affected by that personally, but we don't know. We don't know. But you, you see this, this colorful history of James, and you wonder, why, why, did, uh, why does James sound so legalistic? Why does it sound like James is mixing law with grace? Maybe it's because he was. Scripture seems to be testifying to it, doesn't it? If we follow the logic behind it. So, Paul says in Galatians 5, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised. Who do you think he's talking to here? The circumcision group. The people from James. I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he's obligated to obey the whole law. You are trying to be justified by the law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? What kind of persuasion? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is following you into confusion, whoever that may be, will pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. 
<laughs> he was pretty upset. Uh, he, he had to face a, a lot of troubles. And uh, so an interesting thing here, an interesting thought. Uh, um, um, and, a, and a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. What did Jesus say about that? When he, when he said, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. We now know that there were believing Pharisees, according to scripture. So they had to beware of the yeast of believing Pharisees. And so people have said that Paul's letters were all rebuking James and the people from James. And there could be some truth to that. All this rebuking legalism could have been coming from believers. Think about that. Just look at that while you're reading. It, it's 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 a it's a pretty fascinating topic. But then Paul goes on and says, uh, "The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Against such things there is no law." I remember Lee saying, we want, uh, from our one of our last messages, we want fruit. We don't want works. We want fruit. Uh, against such things, there is no law. What does he mean by that? You can't, you can't regulate it. You can't put, uh, you, you can't control it. You can't control the fruit of the Spirit. It happens on its own. Literally, people speaking out against, uh, you know, saying that Christians that say follow your heart are following their feelings. That's not what a, a grace teacher speaking on following your heart is saying. Feelings are not part of our faith. Our faith is fact. What we're saying is rest in grace by following your heart. All you're doing is being yourself. All you got to do is be you. Let God be God. God is going to work through you. Let the spirit work within you. That's all that has to take place. But you need God even for that. If that's not happening with you and you want that, pray about it. Because everything, even as James said, everything perfect and good comes from above. He wasn't without knowledge completely. He was just very early on and he was struggling with legalism. I'm convinced and maybe some of you guys are too. I hope this helps you guys out there because, uh, you know, the, these passages have helped me a lot. So there again, we talked about why Why does James fail to teach the gospel? Why isn't he talking about the, the cross and the resurrection? You can't argue that. He doesn't talk about it. Why didn't he talk about it? What do legalists do? They put Jesus in a little drawer and talk him away for safekeeping, and then they focus on themselves. They keep that light in the drawer tucked away, put away where it's of no value, hidden away, no value. They're saved and regenerated, and they put away everything that was good and focused on themselves and their works and their righteousness. Look, God, I'm a vine. No, you're not. Jesus is the vine. Give it up. Live with it. You do not produce fruit. <laughs> okay. So, I think you can see why I tried to warn, you know, the legalists, you're not going to like this message, and, uh, you know, you're not going to like our channel, you're not going to like our, our page, you're not going to like anything about it, but if you're a regenerated Christian, if you believe you were born again, maybe you should look at our page, even if it irks you a little bit, 
I don't know, maybe this is your calling. Maybe, maybe some of you, I know for some of you, you know, I know my eyes were open at one point and uh, that's what it takes. You never know. You never know when your eyes will be open. All I know is when they are, you know, it, it happens. And uh, that's, that's full grace. Uh, that's part of the full grace message that we teach here is that it happens organically. You didn't, you didn't decide it. You, you are, you just naturally come to faith. And how did you do that? Came from above. Everything came from above. That's full grace. Everything comes from above. It's as simple as that. Everything that's good about you is coming from within. And uh, God is using, oh, he's using your unique personality. He created you with your unique personality for a unique purpose. You're one of the children of God that was that was predestined before the world was even designed by God to be his children. You were one of his children. He had that plan for you from the beginning. How do you wrap your head around that? God's amazing glory. Yeah, we understand full grace. We understand full gospel, but the full glory of God. Oh, man, none of us are going to fathom that until the day that we finally meet him. And, and I always think, I was telling, uh, telling my wife, Melissa, the other night, like when we meet him, it's going to, it's, you know, the, the, uh, the more you know about him now, it's going to be like, it's not going to be a stranger that you're meeting. But you're going to see him in all his glory, but he's not going to be a stranger because, you know, the 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 elect, the people that are 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 wanting to know Christ, want to understand the depths of his love are they they know him already. We know Jesus. That's all that matters. You know, if you want to hang out to your works, whatever. Don't try to push that on me. I'm not joining the James gang. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not going to be initiated into that stuff. Circumcision group has no value to me, no credentials, no seminary, no high up above leader that's supposed to be above all people. None of us are above each other. We are all the same. We're all one and we're all functioning as different parts of the body. And uh, we all have our gifts. We all have our fruits. Rejoice in that. My brothers and sisters out there, embrace it. Embrace the love of God because there is nothing like it. There's nothing like it. Uh, it, you can't pay for it. You can't buy it. You can't charge money for it. It's just there and it's never going away all through the ages. 2000 years later, 2000 something, whatever, almost 2000 years later after the, the resurrection of Christ, his spirit is still living in the believers, the children of God. And it's, it's still out there despite the efforts of legalism, never ending efforts of legalism. Could have been the same thing that Paul called the thorn in his side. <laughs> what do you think? I, I mean, I, I know as a born again Christian, but you know, I, and I hear other guys, you know, other other brothers and sisters in Christ when you preach the message. Uh, the legalism is a thorn in the side; it just never goes away. You get attacked, and you're getting attacked by your by by your by believers and non-believers alike. <laughs> And the people preaching the law, you know, they, there's a lot more people loving that stuff. You know, that's a lot more accepted by the world because it's a worldly view. How do we know if somebody's saved? Well, how do we know if they're regenerated? I mean, it's it's hard to know for sure unless we know what they know about Christ. I mean, somebody that's regenerated preaching legalism, it's what how do we, how are we learning from that? How do we know anything about that? Does everybody under legalism uh, you 
Here, here's a good question. Can we born can we be uh can we be regenerated by legalism? Can legalism and somebody else's self-effort cause somebody to be born again? Can somebody else's impressive works cause you to be born again? Can your works cause you to be born again? No. No. You cannot be born again that way. So if you were born again that way, you weren't born again. The only way you can be born again is by understanding Jesus, knowing Jesus, knowing what he did. You would have to, at some point, by divine revelation, understand the finished work of Jesus and then fall away in order to be a legalist who is born again. I don't recommend it. You're not helping anybody. You're causing the stum people to stumble. Just, I'd say just cut it out lovingly, lovingly. Cut it out. Stop fighting. Stop dividing people. You can't divide the body of Christ. It's undividable. It's undividable. You know, out here where I'm at, I'm surrounded by, by establishments that mix law and grace. And so I'm starting my own thing. And, uh, you know, I've been doing that the whole time. God's been resting. I've been resting in God and Christ is in me and I'm in him. And, uh, you know, you guys out there, you know, that don't know everything, don't be afraid to speak about your Savior. You don't have to know everything. The, the message of the gospel, the message of grace is the most valuable thing. That's what Paul was out there teaching to people. It's the only thing that really matters. And from there, we start to learn and discern other passages. And we learn things and we grow and we're all growing. And it's amazing. Let's help each other grow. Let's not fall back under laws and legalism and self-righteousness, judging other people. What's the point in thinking about that stuff? It's a waste of time. Jesus is awesome. Keep him, keep him on display. Keep him, just, just have him in your mind. That's how you regenerate your mind. That's how your mind is regenerated, rather. You know, catch yourself saying things. That's how you know. That's how God does his work. And if, if, if this resonates with you, you know that God's done his work in you and doing his work in you. And, uh, you know, that you got to follow the spirit. If you're going to read the scriptures, are you going to read them literally? Are you, are you going to say that we have to uh, we have to stay away from from shellfish? Are you going to say that uh, our righteousness has to surpass that of the Pharisees? Are you going to gouge out your right eye when it causes you to sin and cut off your right arm? Those of you that are always calling me out, saying that you got to obey the scriptures, I obey the scriptures. They're, they're, they're scriptures. You're not born again by the scriptures. You're born again by the spirit of the God. And I love my Bible, but you got to, you can't just be pulling stuff out of nowhere and saying, this is the word of God. He said, gouge out your right eye. What are you doing to people? Cut it out. <laughs> Preach Christ. Preach Christ. Not legalism. So, hey, I'm just saying. So that's, that's my take. You know, you don't have to believe it. You may think I'm wrong. You know, I'm not perfect on every avenue. I, I always listen back on what I say. And, you know, it's there's plenty of things that aren't perfect. I know, uh, you know, one thing in particularly, I was <laughs> very recently, my eyes were open to, and, and the, you know, there again, grace, gospel, clears a bell. But, you know, I, I look back on, uh, I was listening back and I, you know, re had, had mentioned that uh, sexual immorality, the, the brother in, in uh, Corinth that had committed sexual immorality. He's not a brother. He wasn't considered a brother. It was a heading. 
I got fooled. And uh, was Paul judging him, his actions? No, he wasn't saying this brother committed sexual immorality, get rid of him and uh, hand him over to the devil. And we're going to go over that later. But the, the clarity of the passage, there was something that Paul knew about this guy more than what we get to eavesdrop in and, and read because he was judging this guy's belief. He was saying he was worldly, basically, that his mind was not renewed, that his spirit was not regenerated. He wasn't one of them. That was the conclusion. He said false, false believer. Um, you know, he said, uh, I don't think he used that word. Uh, people that uh, anyhow. He had declared that he was not a believer. He was faking it. He declared him not a believer. And so that's why they ejected him. And he was causing other people to stumble. Oh, absolutely. The work was repulsive. And he was against that, you know, and that would have been something to rebuke all its own. But he rebuked the people around him who were promoting it and saying that and they were proud of him and boasting about it. But the brother himself got ejected because Paul didn't feel like he was one of them. He figured he was a fake, a phony amongst them. But the brother came back. So he was a brother after all. But at that time, at that time, I don't believe he was. I believe that he was regenerated. He, he was thrown out into the world and his eyes were open. And that's pretty cool. At first, I thought he was a brother who came back around and repented of his sin. And that's possible under grace. So, was, you know, you still look at it under grace goggles. It's very possible that Paul was just like, you're messing people up around here. You, you got to get out of here, you know, and, you know, we'll let you back in. If you stop doing this kind of stuff or acting this way, you're bringing people down. It could have been, could have been, but it wasn't. He was saying that he wasn't a believer. And so he didn't want that among them. And uh, so that that's an interesting thing. I learned and grew recently. God's using this. He's using He's using this ministry for me, and I, ho I hope he's using it for you. And uh, we should all just be proud of Jesus out there. There's nothing to be ashamed of. We don't need credentials, my friends. We have the credentials in here, our Holy Spirit. That's how they learned before seminary. Where, where do you think people learn before cemetery, uh, seminary school? <laughs> cemetery, it is a cemetery. <laughs> Seminary school. I, I think it was like something like 1784 seminary was established, something along those lines. And uh, so what about all the believers before that? I mean, come on. You, you don't you don't get the spirit from a seminary. Did you get a did, you, did the did did Paul say he got the spirit from the synagogue? He said that was all garbage. So anyhow. I just wanted to, you know, let's leave on a good note. God is love and uh, in, in a way that, uh, you know, we only understand under grace saying God is love in general. That just that just means nothing. But when we, we, we need to embrace the depths of God's love together. Let's do that. Right. And so this is an awesome message. So what do we have to learn about all this in summary? Well, it sounds to me like James struggled with legalism. And it sounds to me like when you read James, you have a perfect, clear, and concise example of legalism in the early church, legalism that believers were under. And so what can we learn from it is the question. What is God teaching us through that? Well, he's, you know, some are stumbling by it, but that's not God's fault. God is using that in believers to, to grow them. And so that's what the spirit would be doing. So what's the spirit doing in you? Is it, is it growing you in grace or is it growing you in legalism? Which way are you going? Which way do you err? Do you want to err on the side of grace? 
that's where I go. And so if, if you're with me on that, then come on, you come along for the ride. Hey, you know, if you want help uh, along the way, I can answer some questions. I don't have all the answers. I can, you know, if you're, if you're looking to start your own thing and you think that I can help you in some way, let me know. I mean, I, I don't know everything. I'm just getting started with this stuff and just having a lot of fun. I had no idea that I'd be making videos. This is crazy to me, actually. Uh, but it's a lot of fun and I'm just loving it. So uh, spirit of God at its at its work is all I feel and see. And I know and I know because I know what I read in scripture and see as clear as a bell truth. Uh, when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to grace. So, hey, guys, have a good day out there. And uh, thank you for waking up to grace uh, with us, uh, with with me <laughs> and uh, some of the others at times. And so, hey, have a good day out there, you guys. I hope you enjoyed this message. James belongs in scripture. That's where I'm standing now. And uh, it's, a, it's a liberating feeling because I was I was back and forth. I was skeptical. You heard me say it several times and I've grown from this, from all this. And so I, if I'm feeling the growth, I'm hoping that others grow from it too. And if, if you hate it, don't waste your time because you're not going to convince me that it, you know, legalism rules the world because it doesn't. Christ rules the world. Christ is king. And uh, nothing that you can do can change that. Amen. All right, guys, have a great day out there.